This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Joe Delasega talks about the miracle healing of his son by what he believes is Father Capon. One body, one body, what is the process for getting a miracle approved? One body, one body. What did Joe learn from all this? One body. Well, let's find out. Joe Delasega is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. Our guest for this hour, and it's uh, Joe Delasega talking on Father Capon's second miracle. Joe, welcome this morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Now, Joe, first of all, I, I apologize. I want to make sure I uh, pronounced your name right. Della Sega. Della Sega. So I got it right. Good. That's you, you know I don't do that. Yes, I, I don't get it right very often. So I'm proud that, <laughs> that I did that. So we're going to talk about right. Father Capon. Some say Capon, uh, but either way, his second miracle. Um, and just for for folks, I, I I can't imagine that people are not familiar with Father Capon. But um, let's talk about that. Maybe a little history first, uh, and a kind of a brief overview. Of, of his story, and uh, we'll talk about the canonization process and everything that goes along with it. So welcome this morning, and, and kind of fill us in on that, if you would. You bet. You know, Father, uh, I go by Capon. It's, it's, a, it's a way pronounced, depends, but he, family goes Capon, but he's well-known as Capon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, being aware of Father Capon through Capon High School and, uh, you know, Capon Mount Carmel, just there was a lot of, of awareness of the name, but really didn't know the, the, the man behind the name. And um, Father Capon was basically, he's a Catholic priest, the Diocese of Wichita, uh, born in Pilsen, Kansas in 1916, and uh, grew up on a farm, had a, a very normal uh, childhood, uh, very uh, devout, um, just was well known as just an amazing young young man. Um, <clears throat> then he basically uh, uh, went college, went into the seminary after high school, and uh, came back, served in the Pilsen area um, for four years, and then uh, had a calling to become a, a chaplain in the military. So he joined uh, the military after four years after being ordained and did a stint uh, in the Burma Theater during World War II. Um, when the war ended, he came back to Pilsen and served, and then with the Korean War and a couple years later, his, his heart was with the, the boys, he, was, he would call them, uh, rejoined the military in the Korean War and was just known as, as an amazing, amazing priest, an amazing chaplain. They'd say that he would go foxhole from foxhole and, and would pray with men in whatever faith they were in. He was, he was uh, you know, could, could, whether it was the Jewish community or, or a Protestant community or the Islamic community, he, he knew um, how to connect and was, was basically a chaplain for all, for all his boys. His story really comes alive when they, in early 1950, they crossed, uh, the military crossed uh, the 38th parallel going into North Korea. At that time, they, the thought was that uh, pushing back the North Koreans, they were going to be able to just, you know, push that line back. What was unbeknownst to them, the Chinese had secretly entered the war. And um, there was a, a point where he was, they knew that it was going to get hot. He was asked, invited to, to leave the front lines many times. And he just never shied away from the theater and felt like it, he had to be with his boys. And so he, uh, he continued and stayed with them. They were then uh, on, on an infamous uh, November 2nd 
1950 in the Battle of Insam. The Chinese, along with the Koreans, uh, basically came down on, on their platoon, about 800 men, and he, through that day, actually uh, was awarded the Medal of Honor um, and is one of the most highly decorated chaplains of all time. But on that day, there's, there's just some amazing things that happened. And basically, it started with him and a physician getting a, a makeshift hospital and a foxhole, got as many people into that, and then ultimately um, negotiated the, the surrender, uh, saving, uh, saving uh, countless numbers of lives. Um, on that same day, uh, there was a gentleman, Herb Miller, who had been captured. Uh, actually, before he was captured, he had been shot in the leg, and he, he knew he couldn't survive, couldn't move. So he feigned being dead, pulled the soldier over him, and, and laid there for most of the battle. Um, when the battle ended, Father Capon's group was held and, and uh, captive. And, and uh, at that point, he looked, Father Capon started walking up this road, um, and it was at a time where this soldier... Chinese soldier realizes Ray uh, is not dead, and he takes and puts the gun up as if to execute him. And Herb Miller, excuse me, Herb, all of a sudden hears this Father Capon come up over this road who didn't even know that, that Herb was up there, pushes the gun away, takes Herb and, and throws him on his shoulder and says, not today, and, and carries him back into with the other men. And so... That was his first major act of heroism. He uh, then led the soldiers into captivity. They walked, it varies on the number of miles, 60, 80 miles, some great length over nightfall uh, so they wouldn't be noticed down into the where they were ultimately held. And uh, during that time and that amazing walk, he um, would carry her Miller most of the way. If he did, he would have somebody else carry him because if somebody couldn't make the walk, they were executed instantly but he would walk backwards and this is really rough terrain but up and down the line imploring the other soldiers to carry uh, their fellow soldier to pick him up to walk with them and um, it's it's told uh, at the Medal of Honor ceremony which my family had the privilege of attending in the East Room the White House at the time President Obama talked about how that group of men uh, both then and in the concentration camp had a, an incredibly high a number of people that lived, and they attributed a lot of that to Father Capon, and he just did amazing things in the camp, and uh, again recognized for his uh, his uh, doing all those things to to be a servant to his boys. Ultimately, he died in in uh, May of 1951 uh, in a in a hospital, which was basically a, another word for the a death the death sentence, and um, so that Father Capon, uh, his legacy has lived on. Through so many people, and the story's been told and over, especially by his fellow uh, POWs. And so that's that's Father Capon in a nutshell. Well, fascinating story, um, Joe. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, kind of your connection. You mentioned the fact that you were there in the White House uh, when this was awarded. Talk a little bit about your connection to Father Capon. Sure. So, so Father Capon again. We, uh, you know, when when his uh, beatification process was opened. Um, in 2004, I believe it was, by the bishop at the time, uh, Bishop Gerber. Um, you know, we, we were aware of him, and we would kind of hear these stories, but my connection was that my brother, um, in 2000, 
nine had uh, had heart problem, and Father Tom, our local pastor, said, "Hey, you know, you ought to be thinking about uh, reaching out to Father Capen for intercessory prayer." Um, and so we began then being familiar with Father. And then uh, fast forward a year later, uh, my son Nick was running in a 5K uh, here in Pittsburgh, and uh, my brother Mark, just so many tie-ins to the story, was actually visiting from North Carolina. He's a physician. And uh, luck would have it, he was he was went to two or three different places before he got to finally this 5K race that Nick and his cousins were in. And um, as Nick was coming around uh, and entering back into the stadium, uh, he collapsed. And um, Mark was uh, one of the first responders and mm-hmm. gave him good CPR. But well, uh, Mark will tell you, uh, after 40 years of medicine, he knows the look of death. And Nick, uh, after 10, 11 minutes on the ground, was ashen. Uh, nobody, people said they didn't recognize him that went by. It was a very scary time. Uh, no heartbeat. And uh, he, he did have a, a, a respiratory. They shocked him. And uh, the, by then they put him in the ambulance thinking, and Mark just came to give me a call. I was out of town with Janice to let us know that, you know, it wasn't good and that we thought we lost him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, on the way to the hospital, two of the guys, and both of them were, were friends of Nick's uh, that were working, uh, doing the uh, – you know, the first responders, and they were getting ready to put to trach him, and and all of a sudden, out of a, a, a no life, he opens his eyes and says, "Michael, what are you doing?" And right then, Mike and Jordan both looked at each other, and they were almost jolted, and 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 they said, it, and both of them have said it. It was like a bolt of lightning that hit the ambulance. Uh, it was it was just the craziest thing. Um, so Nick got to the hospital. And, um, of course, he can't remember any of the event uh, past halfway through the race uh, to this day. But he's sitting up at 4 o'clock eating spaghetti. We, we got home from Manhattan to see him, and there's 60 of my family members in the lobby. And uh, that was the first thing. We come off the elevator and into Nick's room, and he greets us. And, um, you know, just an amazing thing. The, the, the big part of that story was that uh, Jonah, because of our families uh, praying for Mark for a year, um, Jonah who had fallen to his knees. He was in eighth grade at the time. Right then, uh, when Nick went down, he, he, he fell to his knees and then asked for Father Capon's intercession. My niece was out at Collegiate in Wichita at a forensic state meet, and the minute she heard it, she went into the chapel and prayed to Father Capon. Um, and I don't know if, who else, but so uh, Nick, uh, yeah, so, so Nick had that experience, and uh, we got him. Uh, he's he's uh, you know fine now. He uh, we've been to Mayo and they can't explain what happened. And uh, he's been there a couple times. They've done all the DNA testing and and uh, uh, all of the exhaustive tests. And they said they can't uh, explain what happened. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, right now, let's let's kind of talk a little bit about the canonization process. And we'll kind of jump into, you know, we talk about two miracles, that second miracle, we, which you talked about and alluded, alluded to here. But go ahead and uh, share with us where the canonization process is right now. Sure. You know, this has really been a good experience. We we think we know that process, but but we really don't until it becomes something that's so live in our in our lives. And so he basically uh, the the process the, the bishop opens up um, the process and actually na- he named the servant of God, 
Um, and that's where uh, the Congregation of Cause of Saints will review. And so in 1993, I think I said 2004, 1993, uh, Bishop opened up and gave permission to look into the investigation that then led to the 2004 when Father Hotze began doing the research and a postulator was, or a liaison, if you will, is is assigned. And they began working on the Presidio, which is basically, you know, where you get all the papers and, and do all the work. And so right now, Father Capon is a servant of God. And actually, COVID hurt us because um, that that process, there's a historical verification of the data and the information that was submitted, which was submitted three months after Nick's incident in uh, May of of 2000, uh, June, uh, he happened in May, and then the, the uh, information was submitted July of 2010. And that's when these miracles, there are actually three miracles submitted. Um, one was a pole vaulter, young Ch- uh, Chase Car- uh, Kerr, uh, Avery, young lady that had uh, some really sub- significant uh, health uh, challenges, and then Nick. Uh, so those three were all submitted at the same time. And it got through the uh, uh, the process really well went through the historical uh, verification uh, very quickly. We got through that, and the next is now the the step where they finish and make the recommendation to the to the Pope. And we're very very hopeful that uh, that we can get to where the Pope uh, gets uh, the the information, and then we'll declare him venerable. And at the point that it's venerable is when they begin to investigate the miracle. So at this point. Those three miracles are alleged miracles. Uh, all of the information, all the doctors have been interviewed and, and they have been submitted. I, I will say that Chase and uh, probably Avery's, uh, and, and we don't know this, we're speculating, but that Avery's miracle, um, because of over the time, is, is maybe the one they start with. But there have been three that have been submitted for review because out of that, uh, when they're venerable, um, then it then it becomes a, a, a part of a, you have to have the uh, in that process a miracle that has happened after his death in father's name and then once that happens um, it will become um, he will go from he'll become called venerable and then their beatification process will begin um, and and then once that beatification then it, it, that they have a date signed to become a saint so it's a long way of saying. He's a servant of God, and he is moving through the process of becoming venerable. The interesting thing, and Father um, Father Lanza, Father John Lanzworth will always tell you, it's a, it's a long, arduous process. It's a very good process, but you can't put a timeline on it. Uh, this this might not happen in our timeline. Sure. Uh, we know in our hearts uh, that he he was a saint, but we also know that for Father Capon, being a saint is. It doesn't mean anything. There wouldn't have meant anything to him. Um, so in his humility, that's just uh, fascinating. And I, I was somewhat familiar with the process, but didn't know it exactly. And uh, you know, we talked about, and I remember talking, I believe, with the young man Chase, uh, uh, maybe a couple of years ago about that particular accident because it was a pole vaulting accident, if I recall right. Correct. That is correct. So really, kind of interesting. Two track related. Um, incidents here as part of this, uh, you know, as part of these miracles that could potentially mean sainthood for uh, Father Capon. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, and, and Avery was a great athlete, athlete herself. She was a soccer player. So there, there's a, and that's, you know, when she began not to be, 
able to compete, that that uh, really hurt. So so actually, it does evolve around sports. All around sports. Very interesting. Let's talk about, and, and again, um, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about Nick and, and that, that whole story, which is actually amazing. But let's kind of go back. I, I kind of jumped the gun a little bit um, with this, but, but to, to, to truly understand the story, um, obviously Nick was running, but and you were away. You said it was your brother that was there who was the physician? Yes, that's correct. So at the point of, I guess I'm curious, when you got to the hospital, um, had you, what had you, had you known at that point? What was it, where was the situation at that point? Boy, you know how something is so vivid. Um, we were at K-State uh, at a baseball game with my son and, and uh, daughter, and then we actually went by Benedictine uh, University to pick up another daughter. So we are in the car three and a half hours away, uh, none of his immediate family member in town, and we're driving back, and, you know, my first thought um, was to that we were going to find him a vegetable. You know, being out 10 minutes, I knew wasn't good. Um, and so uh, said the rosary the entire way home. Um, now, they actually called us. Uh, Mark called me back and said, hey, things aren't, you know, there's been a little change. So he gave us a little hope. And then within an hour later, uh, Nick was on the phone and talking to us and granted not making a lot of sense but we had had connection with him so i i knew at least there was something good but i certainly felt they were keeping from me i think they were so worried that we were going to get back and not get hurt to you know to rush back and so i i I knew or i felt like maybe i wasn't hearing the whole story it's hard to believe but um so we were driving saying the rosary um tears uh i will tell you i've never felt the power of, of people texting up and calling up like I did on that trip. Um, it was almost a shot of adrenaline and hope and faith uh, with each each one of those phone calls. Uh, so we were on the phone and we were praying the entire way home. And to walk through those doors and, and to see him upright um, was a, a miracle. You know, there there are so many people that go through so many health issues over such a long period. I, I liken this with like a microburst. Uh, it came from nowhere and it happened and then it was gone. Um, there, there's 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 a story of the four months after till we got to Mayo that's that's interesting, but um, that that's what that was like coming home. And just an amazing amazing story. And and again, what year did this happen? 2010. Okay, May seventh, so. 2010. Let's talk about uh, you talked about the event. You talked a little bit about how this particular miracle was submitted to Rome as part of the process. So, um, and again, you, you talked also about, let's go back to Nick a little bit here. Uh, you said four months later went to Mayo. And from what I'm understanding, really, they couldn't, there was, it was kind of unexplained. I mean, for them, they're just, everything seemed to be okay. Uh, maybe fill us in a little bit more with a few more details on, on Nick's uh, situation. Sure. You know, um, when we got there, um, Dr. Ackerman, and it was amazing, these people at Mayo and, and, and these doctors, I guess, at all these levels are just amazing. And, and he said, well, we'll, we'll pull back the layers and, and we'll be able to figure this out. And, um, and as he did all the testing and he kept pulling back layers, he had him do a stress test of which Nick had played college football, uh, was in great shape. This was only, I think, a year or two after he was out. Uh, so he, he was in great physical condition and on his stress test, you know, it was like tested out at like 99%. I mean, 15 minutes on a full run. And so um, doctor basically said 
you know, we're going to we're going to look at we're going to re create the incident, which they can do and uh, which is Nick's mother had some problems with, which is kind of funny, uh, funny conversation. He says, you're going to you're going to do that again. Yeah, it didn't make sense, but they did that um, EP study. And um, and uh, so with all that, basically, uh, he tested out and and doctor, uh, he called it uh, purgatory. He said, you know, uh, there's some things that science can't explain yet. He's on a continued study. Um, but he said the best he could say was uh, the system of the heart has electrical and it's plumbing and Nick's plumbing is perfect. And that day the electrical uh, misfired and I, they can't explain it with the science. Um, he said uh, probably the greatest words I'll, I'll remember always. Nick had a defibrillator pacemaker put in immediately after the event in Wichita within two days because they said we just don't know if this will happen again. And uh, we thought he had Brugada, sudden death syndrome, which uh, is, if you look it up, is a really scary, scary thought. And the um, doctor said something that I'll never forget. He said, go live your life. Go, go, do, go do everything you do. And, um, and Nick's done that for the last nine years and nine and a half years. Um, played all his sports, went back to flag football and his basketball, his softball, and he loves, he loves to play and um, has, has done great with all of it. So it's, it's an amazing blessing. It is an amazing blessing, an amazing story, and uh, it's just a, it is just, a, just kind of mind-boggling. And again, we, we, we may never understand, obviously, truly has to be a miracle. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more from Joe DeLaSega on the Miracle for Father Capon. We're back on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. One Body, One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. Miracle for Father Capon. One Body, One Body. With Joe DeLaSega. One Body. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Joe DeLaSega is our guest this morning talking about that second miracle story, his son Nick. What an amazing story it is. What was that like? I want to go back because that had to be an incredible feeling to, as you're driving there, I can't imagine, you know, three and a half hours probably seemed like, you know, 20 hours. But what was that like for you to walk into that room to see Nick sitting upright and and to just go... I think he's okay. I mean, what was that like for you? Share that experience. Uh, ecstatic joy. <laughs> I mean, uh, you you know, through all of this, the word that I've used is um, overwhelmed. I, I, I literally could not get my head around what had happened. And I, uh, it's it's funny, you go through Scripture and you hear the word astonished and, um, you know, over and over, and, and this happened and they were... Um, you know, in awe or astonished, I, that was that mind was overwhelmed. Um, you know, walking in and seeing him like that was 
amazing. And then as, as things unfolded and, and the story got told of what exactly happened over time, I went from, well, maybe this wasn't as bad as I thought it was to no, he, he was, you know, and for all intents and purposes, in Mark's eyes, uh, his uncle, he was dead. I mean, he had died. And, and then it, it just, I can't, you, you know, it just takes time. You know, the, the four months after, um, I just wanted to go, Jan, Janice and I, we, we wanted to get him to the right doctor. We wanted to get this thing fixed, right? We were going to figure out what happened and we're going to fix it. And so we went through four months of, I, you know, it took four months just to get on the docket at, at uh, Mayo. And, and so every morning I would not lift my head up a pillow until I'd say, thank you, God, that Nick's alive. And what I experienced is this rush of gratitude that was on steroids. I, I'm, a, I don't know, by my nature, maybe a grateful person, but, but, it, but it was paled to what I was feeling. And one day, after doing this for, for several days, I woke up and I was like, well, God, thank you that you even ever gave Nick to me. Somehow I thought we made that choice. And then what a gift. And, and then it went to, to Janice and, and her uh, to, have, to have such an amazing person in my life. And, and then it was great for my family. Um, and then it extended even to, to the community. You know, I looked at people. And, so this gratitude um, and, and that four months, while it was really a, almost a purgatory, and it was, I was in fear that it was going to happen again. I needed to get there. I was in fear of what was going to happen. And it was a very peaceful and a, really a conversion opportunity that, while he had a microburst, it took time, and, and it affected uh, not only Janice and I, but m- m- many in our family and, and even in our community. So, um, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And uh I, I'm not sure this was for Nick, but I, I know it, it, it's impacted me in a very powerful, powerful way, in such a way that, you know, what I was doing in my career and work and, uh, you know, I, I, I realized God doesn't give us tomorrow. I was like, well, I would like to work with parishes and I'd like to do more of this and work, you know, with our parish more than what I was even doing. And, and so it caused me a, a, to, to be able to, to make some changes in my career and allocate more time to give and uh, which has just been an incredible blessing. So um, that single event has had a, 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 a tremendous impact on on my family, myself, and uh, we're just we were very humbled. You know, maybe overwhelmed and humbled would be would be the two words. The amazing story, Joe. What uh, what parish are you at? I'm at Our Lady of Lourdes in Pittsburgh, Kansas. In Pittsburgh, okay. Uh, St. Mary's Colgan uh, Schools, very vibrant mm-hmm. Catholic. A community and and a, a parish. Very blessed to have to have the parish uh, uh, that we have and the, and the priests that we have. And uh, we are talking today with Joe Delasega about Father Capon's second miracle, the miracle of his son Nick, and what an amazing story. Really, all of these uh, miracles. And I I don't know Avery's story uh, well, but but uh, obviously know Chase's story and then Nick's story now. And this is, you know, I mean, it's, it's really kind of, um, it's exciting to hear this because um, these stories, they're, they've come to life really uh, through, through, the, uh, through Divine Mercy Radio, hearing these stories uh, in the past from Chase and now this story about Nick. Um, what, what speaks to you most about this? I think you probably talked, touched on that, 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 um, feeling of gratitude for one thing, but, uh, maybe share with us and you or other family members, uh, what speaks to you the most about all of this that has happened? 
sure. Um, I think first, <laughs> we all use these words and throw them out, but uh, the first thing I would start with is just life itself. Everything we are and everything we have is a gift from God. Um, none, none of this is, is us. We're stewards of that gift, and I think we know that, but at times we become centered on ourselves and that I did this and I had this family and I did that. And and that's in our world been turned upside down um, is that, that God's got this. Uh, so that, that would be my first thing the the, the other things that God doesn't give us tomorrow. Uh, we can't be in the business of saying I'll do that someday, especially when it pertains to the faith. Um, the faith isn't something that I do on Sunday. It's not something I do someday. Um, but, but our faith is, is every day and it's living into the relationship with God every day. Um, and then the word relationship. I, I remember the feeling, uh, thinking and praying through this is, um, God, I'm rushing to you right now asking for help. Like I've never, ever asked you before. And I likened it to, to a friend that we go to when we need him. But a true friend is somebody you have all the time and you invest in the relationship. And so the word relationship, uh, I'd call this amazing encounter, uh, but then that relationship needs to be fed. Um, you know, that's, that's, and I went through, you go through the process of what does that relationship look like? And um, God gave us the Eucharist. God gave us scripture. He gave us sacraments. uh, He gave us parish. He gave us community. I mean, all of the, the, our toolkit is filled with things to bring ourselves to this relationship and so um, I could go on and on, but those are those are two or three of the top things that that it that it did for us, and uh, and uh, it turns what I think I could do or should do, and, and makes it uh, actionable. You do it. You're more intentional about uh, following the will of the Holy Spirit and and trying to keep fostering and increasing that relationship with with God. What a beautiful message uh, from Joe this morning. I want to mention, too, the number to call. We've got our trivia winners for this hour, but uh, we also would love to hear from you with your pledges this morning. The final day of our uh, uh, fall carathon here at Divine Mercy Radio, the phone number is to call 785-621-4110, outside of Hayes 844-876-3729. And you can also go online and donate at uh, DV mercy.com dvmercy.com click on the donate button and to donate online another option as well so thank you for all the folks who have made their pledges this week we appreciate it so much and who support divine mercy radio thank you also to our underwriters incredible people who have been great supporters and you know we always encourage our listeners as well when you hear that underwriter on the air you know and, and you go in and support their business we hope you support their business tell them thank you for supporting and uh, providing <clears throat> underwriting at divine mercy radio and and a lot of times people call and say hey who can we go to for this or that uh, we always try to point them to our underwriters uh, to help support them because of their support of divine mercy radio 7856214110 Outside of Hayes, it's 844-876-3729. And you can also go online, dvmercy.com, and donate there. Our guest this morning, Joe Delasega, who is uh, sharing the story of Father Capon's second, Father Capon's second miracle. Um, and uh, we, we, uh, we talked about his son, uh, Nick, and an amazing story. But let's talk a little bit, uh, Joe, about maybe something um, 
on the importance of intercessory prayer and why we should ask the saints to pray for us. Share your thoughts there. Oh, sure. But this is, uh, you've you always been taught that in, in, our, in our education, faith, faith formation that we've had, but it becomes so real for this experience alone as an example of how intercessory prayer um, can work so effectively. I think it's critical to have intercessory prayer, whether we're, we're praying, you know, through Mary or the lives of saints, uh, but it's also the intercessory prayer of, of, of with each other. Um, I, I firmly believe the grace that comes from that um, and the community that builds and the importance of that, it, it can't be underestimated. Um, it provides a, a courage of, and a power that is beyond anything that we can experience. And, and the word grace is what I, I just come back into. I think it's, it's just uh, it's paramount that we use intercessory prayer um, you know, how it's as simple as, as how many times when we went to our own father, did, did we either go through our mom or there was somebody we knew would influence them. And um, I think that the, that the whole magisterium and the, the way our God uh, has this uh, all set up for us is, is obviously it's divine providence and it's powerful. Well, this has just been absolutely fascinating to hear this story. Also, you know, we want to talk a little bit this morning. Uh, it's really amazing what, what, are, what Father Capon did in his time in, in service in Korea. Say something about why, you know, we look at uh, Capon's men, the men that, that he helped and, the, you know, the, the man that he carried because he was about to be shot by the, uh, the Chinese soldier. But uh, to tie into that, maybe that uh, topic of our theme, fraternity and accompaniment, why it's so crucial to have that fraternity, why it's so crucial to have that accompaniment during, you know, because we are in a fight. It's spiritual warfare. A lot of people don't really recognize that or think it exists, but let's talk about that fraternity and accompaniment and, and, and the power of that as well. Sure. And, and boy, you are so right uh, on this, on this uh, spiritual warfare. It's in our, in our culture right now. You know, Capon's men uh, in our parish here in Pittsburgh, we had that man as you, which was, is, a, is a fantastic men's ministry, and we've been doing it, but it was kind of had gotten to the point where it wasn't as relevant for what our guys were looking for. We were getting 55, 60 men that show up on Friday morning at 5.30 and gather, um, and that had dropped down to 25.30. And, and so um, we, we decided we were going to go rogue and create our own programming. And in doing that, um, along comes Nick's incident in, in May. And over the winter, we were saying, you know, we need to probably rebrand. And um, Brandon Brill, uh, one of the people on our, our team, uh, and, and after Nick's deal, I, I thought maybe God was calling me to start a men's group. Um, just just because nationally, I couldn't find one to tie into. So I said, well, let's just create one. And couldn't come up with a name. He had all these silly names. And I'm notorious for using a whiteboard. And Brandon one night sends an email. He'll tell you the email started on his bed sitting and it ended on his knees typing. He said the words were coming out. And he built a case for Capon's. And he says, I have it, Capon's men. And he said it was the most outer body experience as he's, you know, talking about it. So when we, we, we started that and we, we did it locally um, and we started, we made a, a video just for us locally and showed it to Bishop Kimmy. And he said, I'd like this one of these groups to be in every parish in our diocese. And I, I tell you that little background to say um, this was much bigger than while we kind of had it started. It, it didn't really matter. He started it. 
But uh, Father Hotze, Capon Guild, Bishop Kimmy, um, all got behind it. And then they, they uh, Scott Carter, who's been an incredible gift, became our, our director. Uh, Jason Searle, very talented, very talented person in Wichita, a young guy, and, and he took the leadership. And we went through this whole, um, as we were thinking of who we are, and we kept asking ourselves that, and we had a mission statement. But the word accountability was the word we used for the first, I don't know, year or two. And then one day it came to us, uh, it's accompaniment. Accountability at times almost can sound punitive, but accompaniment, there's going to be ups and downs, and it's it's walking this spiritual journey with each other. Um, the number of relationships that have been formed with Capon's men and, and anybody out there that has any kind of men's group or any group that comes together, I'm not. it's, it's not just our group, it is an amazing tool it's a strength and a power uh, a love that can come with with uh people walking together and especially men uh, learning how to become authentic leaders in our own homes um everybody knows these statistics uh, if the man is not going to church or is not involved with the the faith the the low percentage 20 percent 25 percent of of children that'll stay stay practicing yeah and so we have a responsibility as men to step up and lead and and uh, and not let that responsibility fall solely to our to our wives, who who typically will shoulder that. That's a, an excellent point, Joe. One of the things that I'm passionate about because I I tell dads don't do what I did. I was one of those guys that was always passive with 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 regard to being the spiritual leader of the household. Um, and it's so important. It's one of the things that's become a passion of mine. Uh, we just had. Um, Bill Maron, who uh, is basically uh, involved very heavily in Thomas More Prep uh, activities and spiritual activities for the kids and, and also one of the head basketball coach. We talked about the importance of men stepping up, and that's a real, uh, real need today in, the, in their world, which is so upside down. And you, you were talking numbers, and they are this, the numbers are, are dramatic when the father plugs into the faith and is that spiritual leader the chance of the kids staying and in, in plugged into their faith improves dramatically. The numbers are huge. I think it's 17% if they don't and up to like 93% um, if they do. Um, so we're wow. talking, and I've heard anywhere from 87 to 93, and I've heard a range of 17 to 24% or 25 if they don't. So regardless, it you can see the numbers are absolutely staggering and the importance of that. And Joe, I want to I want to make sure uh, I, I definitely want to contact you and talk to you more um, about this. I'm I'm in I actually live in Overland Park, so I'm in the Archdiocese of Kansas City uh, in Kansas. But um, I want to learn more about Capon's men. I when I saw this, I thought my mind went to because not knowing about Capon's men and what you're doing, I was really more taking that back to. Um, to Father Capon and what he did, he he stayed with him. It was a fraternity. His men, it was a fraternity, and he accompanied them. He helped those who were injured to get down the road. And so, I just think that's a beautiful, really kind of it. It mirrors, in a sense, what Father Capon did with the men accompanying men, being that forming that fraternity, and really continuing his legacy, if you will, and being stronger and more powerful men of God. Uh, I think that's a beautiful thing. I'm I'm just excited that that Bishop Kimmy has really embraced that as well, and and uh, has something for the Wichita Diocese to really uh, take off with for men because this is so important. This is something that I speak about when I talk 
uh, to groups and talk to men and and uh, I'm just really excited to hear that. And and one of the one of the challenges I'm sure that you're facing is how do we get, you know, there are those guys that are plugged in, right? The guys that are doing the things they need to be doing, the guys that are part of Capen's men. But how do you reach out and get those guys, those dads, maybe that are, you know, they're not coming to mass with their wife and their kids, or they're not, maybe they're out playing golf. Nothing wrong with playing golf by any means, but really just getting the priorities kind of in the right place. How do we reach those men in particular, those guys that are, you know, the young dads who are, are going to play such a pivotal role in forming their children's faith? How do we reach those? So I definitely want to be in contact with you to find out a little bit more about what you're doing and, and, um, and, and kind of try to tie some things together as well. Oh, I, I would love to help you and, and any of the listeners out there that are looking to, to uh, do there's, there's We have uh, multiple different things. We have the Foxhole, which is a, a Wednesday morning podcast, and actually now you can catch that. It's, it's on our website. Uh, I think we're up to, like, I want to say over 50 podcasts. Uh, just Joe Ferris, amazing. We have retreats. We have uh, you know weekly groups. So, you know, our mission is under the – the guidance of Father Capon and being a Kansas guy, what stands out makes us so excited about him. He's an ordinary guy who did ex- ordinary things extraordinarily well, mm-hmm. and and I think you know by our nature Kansans are are hardworking and are are not always out seeking uh, you know to grow and to be the biggest, the best, uh, and get attention to ourselves. And so to have somebody like Father Capon who shunned that and was very humble. He's a, an incredible model for us as Kansans uh, for across the country. But that humility has been one of the things that when we reach out to the, the other men, we, uh, we just find that there are so many guys that are hungry. They're, they're intimidated maybe to go to a, into a church and, and celebrate the Eucharist, but they'll come to Cape and Spin and they'll engage in conversation. And, and what the blessings that that brings and conversation and prayer is leading to just some amazing conversions. And I, I could go on and on. I know your, your time's probably short, but I, I can just tell you some of the greatest friends a guy could have. I, I, feel, I feel swarmed in support of, of all the men that I've encountered with Capon's men. And um, it gives you a confidence that uh, I'll, I don't know if I've ever had as much as in the faith and, and beyond. Well, Joe, we do have some time left, so I definitely I think this is such an important topic to talk about. And uh, like I said, something I'm passionate about. But what what is um, you know, what are you seeing? I, I guess I'd be curious to find out, um, you know, as, as men are finding out about Capon's men, that invitation being out there. Are you finding that there are some young dads also coming into the group who are maybe not, you know, they're not. Uh, Sometimes I guess where I'm going with this is you can make a pulpit announcement or you can put it in the bulletin and a lot of guys are just going to look right past that. Uh, sometimes it's just making that one-on-one connection and the invitation to the group, for example. What are you finding and where are you finding success with that group right now? I'm glad, so glad you asked that because we have a, a youth movement in our group and, and it's usually led by, in our case, it was Brandon Brill and and uh, there's there's three or four Matt Bakers and Chris uh, Childress, young young dads that got got involved early and started really talking it up with their friends and encouraging them to come. So our our group is not a typical uh, you know silver haired group. It is actually the average age is probably thirty five to forty. Oh wow! Which is it is 
it is amazing. And so, uh, and what's cool is you're sitting at a table, um, you know, with, a, with somebody who's a group silver haired, and then there's somebody who just became a granddad, and then might be two or three guys just starting. That conversation, that intergenerational conversation, is really dynamic. I'll give you a story. This morning, um, we have Michael Ealing, just an amazing, uh, one of our amazing leaders. Um, uh, Michael gave a presentation on St. Monica and uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. And, you know, the years that she prayed for, for the conversion of her husband and, and for her son. And um, even amongst the guys, uh, we have a lot of people that either have friends that are not in the church or that are not coming to Mass or not engaged. We have dads that have their young sons that aren't engaged. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's worrisome, it's discouraging. And yet Michael's uh, son, Micah, who coincidentally was uh, in, in the uh, ambulance with Nick, um, uh, you know, Michael told this story this morning, and, and he's uh, coming to Capon's Bend now, uh, you know, and, and is is uh, had been a little out of the faith, a little disengaged, and he's coming around, he's going to church, he's bringing other people, uh, his friends, uh, they actually meet on another morning uh, to get together and, and just to talk about the faith. And so I'm seeing incredible movements of the Spirit uh, amongst this younger group, and, um, and a lot of it starts in, in love and patience and in conversation, and there, people are hungry for this. Uh, and they're responding. They don't want to be told what to do, but uh, between the inv- invitation and the conversation, and of course, then the last thing, that's unfortunately it's the thing we should do first, right, but we do last, and that is just the continual prayer, and perseverance and prayer that, that God will lead, find somebody to put in their lives to lead them back to the faith. And, and I don't know if you're experiencing this, but so many times we think we're the ones that's supposed to bring somebody back, a family member. Uh, or a friend, and sometimes it's praying that God will put the right person in. It's not us. In our own humility, it needs to be somebody else. And and that's what I'm seeing as the as a path back. It's 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 hard work, and it's not something that like a business where I can put numbers to it. It's it's faith, and it's it's very organic. Oh, Joe, I think you're absolutely right. We do sometimes, and uh, I think. What can happen is we we sometimes think we can do it ourselves instead of depending on the Holy Spirit. Just like you said, it's it's maybe not us that brings a family member back to the faith, but it's through the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to work. Sometimes we get in the way, and and I know I do. And if we can step out of the way and let the, the Holy Spirit work, beautiful things can happen. And this is just uh, great stuff. I mean, I, I'm just so I, I'm so encouraged by this to hear that uh, the work that's being done. Uh, 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 there in in Pittsburgh, and and um, obviously something that it sounds like is going to go throughout the the Wichita diocese, and that's a great thing. But uh, definitely look forward to connecting with you and and really learning more about this, and possibly you know meeting and maybe making a trip to Pittsburgh and and talking more <laughs> about that. So uh, we we you know we we and then we don't we, the numbers we don't know you know we're on formed with three videos. I think we have. Oh, I don't know how many groups now, upwards to, I don't even know, 50 to 60 groups. I wish I had that number that are already going. We have an annual retreat going where we bring about 150 people, men in. So it's been going now for six, seven years. Uh, we, we aren't really selling it or broadcasting it. We figure God will lead people to it in, in events like this. Uh, Scott Carter was on uh, EWTN a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and we thought, you know, I'm a marketing guy, business development guy by nature, 
So I had all these great plans and a, a strategic plan. And, of course, Jason is, is even more than me and an amazing businessman in Wichita. And uh, Bishop Kimmy just kind of said, you know, just let God work here. And and so we've taken that posture, and it's 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 actually a lot easier work because uh, God's doing the – God and Father Capon are guiding this, the Holy Spirit. We, we're just letting it happen, and it's uh, – it's much more joyful work than, than the pressures that come with uh, us creating our own paradigms and our own strategies and our own goals. Well, this is uh, really exciting to hear about. And again, like I said, I want to find out more. Uh, we definitely want to do that. It sounds like it's more of a grassroots thing, kind of letting it really evolve very naturally. Um, and <clears throat> again, I think that makes sense because a lot of times guys um, – they're going to be more uh, receptive or open to maybe a personal invitation as opposed to something that's put out there, uh, a flashy promotion to try to get people to come to an event, for example. So that's really exciting that uh, that you are, are working on that and you've got that, that program underway. We've got about a minute or so left. Uh, Joe, any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, first of all, thank you for, for doing this and, and you know, um, uh, it's just an amazing call to, um, I feel of anything that's my takeaway is we've had such an amazing gift of the faith and, and to have this relationship. And now we're called to proclaim, you know, we have to proclaim it and, and we're called to do that. And it isn't, it isn't like that's a good idea or maybe you could do that. It's you have a call to do that. And so thank you and, and all the people affiliated with this station, uh, because you're doing exactly, I think what God's, uh, asking us to do, and it's it's what I feel, and, I, and a lot of the people at Cape and Men are starting to feel. It's like, okay, now my relationship's more intentional. I'm trying to get better, trying to understand and get learned, but at some point, i, I got to turn around and, and share this gift. And so um, I think Father Cape, and I'd, I'd, I'd ask anybody uh, to, to go look, look him up, uh, make him part of your prayer life and intercessory prayer, Use him as an example his, in his humility and his simple, uh, simple lifestyle um, uh, to, you know, and, and, and make him a, a part of your go-to uh, in your prayer life. Um, but more than that, I'd I just like to say again, thank, thank you. Thanks for the work you're doing, and uh, I, I'm sure everybody in the region that gets to listen to this station uh, is grateful. Well, we'll talk more, Joe. I'll, I'll be in contact with you to talk more about what you're doing. I think it's great stuff. Thanks for being uh, sharing the story, amazing story with us this morning, and thanks for being with us. You're very welcome. It's my honor. Thanks for tuning in to One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. If you have a comment about today's show, please go to dvmercy.com and click on the One Body icon. The comment button is in the middle of the page. Also, if you can help keep great shows like this one on the air, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. Your donation will be very much appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM Salina, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, and 88.1 KRTT Great Band and 88.1 KBDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, Pardon, not your hearts. One body, stewarding God's creation.